But the most important thing we do is we give love and dignity and respect. Some of our clients, when they come to us, have never known kindness. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. I'm your host, Ben Hoekstra. Today's topic is a bit heavier than most we cover on Bridge the City. A bit of a content warning ahead, this episode contains conversations about domestic violence, which can be a difficult topic for some listeners. You may have seen in recent months reporting on the rising rates of domestic violence in our community. Deaths from domestic violence in 2021 shattered the previous record that was set the year before. Every five days, someone in Wisconsin dies from domestic violence. In today's episode, we're talking to a guest from Sojourner Family Peace Center, an organization that works to help intervene in high-risk situations and provide resources and support to survivors. I hope that you find this conversation as helpful and as inspiring as I did. First off, Carmen, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your role. Hey, Ben. Good to be here. Um... I have been with Sojourner going on 22 years. I've been doing this work in some way for about 38. Uh, and all that means is, you know, I, I believe in human rights and the rights of people to be safe, women, kids, and men. And um, like for me, there's nothing else. There's no pursuit of life, liberty, or, or, or happiness without safety right, right here in your body. Yeah. And so it's so fundamental to... Um, to everything for us as humans. So I've been doing this for a long time. I have the privilege of being at Sojourner. I'm the president and CEO. That means I sit sort of in the middle of everything, right? And uh, sure. try to work. I work with amazing people. We have about 90 people who work at Sojourner who do, you know, the hard work every day of saving lives. That's great. That's great. Now, are you originally from Milwaukee? I am not. I am from Louisiana. I moved here 38 years ago, um, and I've been here ever since. Not because um, I love the weather, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, the uh, night we're recording this uh, does not inspire hope for the weather in, in uh, Milwaukee, that's for sure. <laughs> it does not. And I often think, why am I living in a place where the sun is not out most of the time? You know, but um, I love the people and, and my roots are here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I know talking with your team ahead of time, um, domestic violence is a, a serious widespread problem in Milwaukee. Give us a little bit of a, a state of where that is in the city and in, in our community more broadly. Where are we today? You know, we're not in a good place. I think things are bad and they're getting worse and they have been getting worse since uh, COVID. It was bad before, um, but in terms of lethal violence, that has continued to go up. And for me, every homicide that happens, there are literally hundreds or thousands of people who are suffering. At the core of this issue is, you know, a ton of suffering, people who've been hurt, kids who witness violence and believe that that's the way to love other people. 
Um, they adapt through using violence because they grew up in a chaotic environment. And that's not to excuse the violence, but it's to help us understand what happens to humans that get us to this place. And those of us that are hurt, you know, we're not designed as humans to be here living in chaos and hurt and harmed by others. So we have to adapt. Um, so I would say currently, um, we have a homicide crisis that's happening. Um, in the summer of 2019, we started to notice that homicides were going up. Lethal violence was going up. Uh, we have a number of effective strategies that we work on to prevent homicide. But even in spite of that, uh, we saw homicides going up in 2020. We had 51 domestic violence related homicides, which is the most anybody had ever seen in the city. We had 40, I believe, in 2021. And as of today's date, I believe we have 40 uh, and there are two undetermined. Domestic violence is not a crime in itself, uh, but it's a series of crimes that happen within a definition. So a crime of disorderly conduct between two people who live together, live together in the past, or have a child in common. So um, homicides are up, despair is up. Um, what we see when we look at homicides is that most of the people, almost all of them who have committed these crimes uh, or uh, you know, been the victims, they're not connected to many people or organizations. So I think that teaches us something. Connection, I think, is vital uh, yeah. to all of us as human, right? Humans. And uh, we notice at the core of these homicides is people who are not connected. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful to think about. I mean, such right. such heavy numbers to share and such a heavy place to be, but to to be able to say that a, a lot of this is is not having people connected in. Tell, yeah. tell me more about that. I mean, what what a what what do you all do to help with that? Like, what can can others do? I mean, I, I think yeah. understanding connections at the core of it is big, but that's that feels like mm -hmm. a very intangible and tough thing to tackle. It's not just about uh, one little step or something. I'm sure it's a million little things that contribute to it, towards it. Uh, t tell us more about that. It is. You know, I felt a little bad that I'm just giving you the bad news. <laughs> The good news is, you know, we serve at Sojourner 8,500 people a year. We have about 60,000 contacts with those people. So we know that there are many, many people who are leaving violence and living fuller lives that are grounded in well-being. Um, but, you know, there's far too many people who are struggling and suffering. Um, so what we do is on the corner of 6th and Walnut, we operate a building called the Family Peace Center. It's that big orange building on the corner. Um, and I often say to staff, the most important thing we do, we give information, we help loved ones, neighbors, friends, survivors, navigate the range of choices that you need to start to think about when you're in a violent relationship. But the most important thing we do is we give love and dignity and respect. Some of our clients, when they yeah. come to us, have never known kindness, yeah. uh, a soft word, you know, or couldn't tell you what it feels like to be respected. And yeah. so we know violence moves from generation to gen generation and gets normalized. So love and dignity and respect, um, I think, is the most important. We, we run a 24-hour shelter. 
and a hot line. We, in any given year, have about 650 women, kids, and men who live with us, anywhere from 30, 60, 90 days. And they're technically considered homeless because they're leaving a violent situation in our shelter. And then we try to exit them to the next most stable thing. And then we do a a lot of systems advocacy. We help with restraining orders. We're co-located with the police department uh, out in the districts. We help in children's court and and civil and family court. Like anything you can think that's happening because of the violence, we try to walk with you. And then we have a hope and healing program and a children's program. So, Tell me a little bit about uh, the advocacy work and the like working in those systems. I imagine that it is probably really easy to explain to someone how the shelter works, right? Someone right. needs to get out of a situation. They come in, they have a safe place, you help them get on their feet. But I imagine there's a lot more complexity to working in these systems, to showing up in those places. Um, right. Talk a little bit about that work. What, what are some of the challenges you face? What are some of the wins you get to celebrate? Uh, tell us more <laughs> about that. You know, um, you you asked a very profound question, right? Because most of us know what it's like if you didn't have a bed to sleep in tonight, right? Or you didn't know where your next meal was coming from. So it's easy for us to conceptualize shelter. Oh, I get it, right? But the systems piece, you know, imagine that tonight the person that you love decides uh, that they're going to hurt or harm you and they're going to do that in front of the kids and they're going to damage the property that you're living in, that you're renting, uh, break the door down, pull the phone cord out, uh, batter you, and you determine that the best thing for you to do is call the police. Um, the police will show up, and it's going to be very confusing, very chaotic. The police have to secure the scene, and uh, they have to determine that the crime that a crime happened and that it fits the definition of domestic violence. And all the while, you know, you're standing there, you're traumatized, you're having a, a range of emotions. You don't necessarily know that, you know, you're going to need to talk to the district attorney about what happened. Right. Um, and that this case is going to go into court, that the DA may charge the case regardless of what you want to have happen. And you might be in a court process. You know, before COVID, we were looking at three months um, for a misdemeanor and about a year for a homicide or or a felony, six months for a felony. Now the court system is sort of broken down. So we're looking at many months where you're going to not have the information you need, be you know, asked to appear in court, have to talk to the DA's office. So what we do is we sort of say to people, we're here to support you and to explain what's going to be happening so you can make the best choice for yourself. Um, we help with restraining orders. Maybe you decide you're not calling police or the police say to you, hey, Ben, I think you need to go get a restraining order. Yeah. What does that even mean? Some of our clients don't, yeah. you know, they don't have an email. They don't know how to fill out. The paperwork's confusing. We do extensive training for our staff to help them navigate. So we walk with you in that as you're navigating the system. So yeah. there's this criminal piece. There's a civil piece, which is the restraining order. There's family court, uh, right? So you may, we may, I may file for divorce and that may take three years. And I may or may not have the money to get an attorney. And, you know, I may be forced to uh, exchange 
the child with, the person who hurt me, just lots and lots and layers of complexity to systems. Uh, systems, I think, in my 38 years, I think are never designed uh, for the benefit of people. <laughs> mm, yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, we design them to help people, but they end up being very complex, yeah. very difficult to navigate. And I'm an advocate and I, I, I would struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think about that all the time. We, I mean, with much simpler and less important things than this. I mean, I think about how many people I know don't know how to uh, contact the city to get your leaves picked up or something exactly. like this. The the small stuff that doesn't really matter in the end of the day. But right. then you think about the big things that that I wouldn't know where to start. And I, I imagine that's true of so, so many people. It is. And, you know, we also, the principles behind our work are autonomy and self-determination. So we believe that you as a survivor have the right to make your own decisions. And that could be anything from, I want to engage in the system to, I don't want to engage and I don't want to cooperate. You know, and what that means is you, you have to figure out how to keep yourself safe. And it's our job to have that conversation with you multiple times over time to help you try to make the best decision that you can in each moment. Safety is probably the biggest challenge for, an es for a survivor in an escalating situation. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. The Trinity Fellows Program at Marquette University is a graduate fellowship program dedicated to developing urban leaders with a commitment to social and economic justice. Fellows participate in a 21-month study and work program while earning a master's degree in one of 14 fields of study. I participated in the program, as did the rest of our Bridge the City team, and it was a great opportunity to deepen our understanding of social and economic justice as well as get further training in our fields. In addition to full-time studies, fellows are placed at nonprofit organizations in the Milwaukee area where they work in meaningful roles. The program comes with significant financial benefits, including a full tuition scholarship and a monthly stipend. If you or someone you know is interested, uh, applications are still open. You can visit marquette.edu slash trinity fellows, or you can go to the link in our show notes. The student application deadline is January 15th, 2023. I know that this was a program we all benefited from. It's a great Milwaukee institution that allows uh, people to receive further training, invest in the city, um, and learn and grow. So I encourage you to check it out if you think that might be something you're interested in. I noticed that you used the word survivor to subscribe, uh, describe the people that you work with. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk to me about that a little bit. I mean, you mentioned earlier the importance of, of respecting and and showcasing the dignity of the people you work with. Why, why that term? Why do you uh, talk about it that way? And, and what do people need to know about that? You know, vocabulary is important. I believe, I believe in the dignity of all people, even the people that hurt and harm others. I don't believe that any human being is born with a desire to hurt another pe a person. I think we get there through chaos and trauma and hurt and harm in our own lives. So I think vocabulary is important. Um, I think for me, the, the word survivors points us towards a positive framework of, of how I can see myself as a person. I'm not just this thing that happened, that hurt me, that harmed me, but I'm so much more as a human, right? I'm resilient. I'm um, capable. I'm autonomous. I can self-determine. If you really 
look at the lives of survivors. They're, they, they don't match the stereotypes sometimes of what we think. Uh, survivors, you know, get up every single day, dress their kids, take them to school, go to work, um, you know, sit in churches, um, go to school uh, with their kids, and they're just suffering and looking for someone to help. But they're very full of strength and resilience. And we as a community need to match that in how we speak about that and how we see them. Um, I often say, especially in a homicide, you know, we don't want to remember people for the thing that happened to them. We want to remember them for the lives they lived and the gifts that they brought. So for me, it's a, uh, it's a refocusing on, yeah, on the, on the human and the full potential uh, of who they are. That's great. And, you know, I think we also need to do the same thing, Ben, for people who hurt others, because sometimes we use the word Mm. perpetrator, abuser, and what is it, uh, Ryan Stevens, I think, said we're we're more than the worst thing we've ever done. Hmm. You know, we all uh, could use forgiveness and grace. Now, yeah. I want to be careful to say, you know, for us, I, I don't want to excuse any harmful right. behavior. Right. But I certainly un- want to understand what happens to humans that get you to that point where you might hurt yourself or hurt other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I imagine that's a heavy thing to carry, especially in your work, because you work with so many survivors to have to kind of commit yourself to the belief that that uh, there there is hope for for folks who are on the other end of this and and to even work on their behalf at times, I'm, I'm sure is a is a hard thing to hold at the same time. It is. Um, you know, one of the, the best things I got out of therapy was this idea that two things can be true or more than one thing can be true at a time. Yeah. And my job as a human is to try to figure out what the right thing for me is at this moment. And it can be hard when you're hurt and haven't processed that or, you know, especially if it sits on other hurts in your life, um, to be able to see the fuller picture uh, of, of of what happens and how does somebody get there? You're not, you know, so we have survivors at every point in that continuum. We have some people who want to stay in relationship. We have some people who want to leave and never see the person again. Sure. And again, we, we honor their choices. Yeah. I'm curious. I know kind of at the, at the start of our conversation, you talked a little bit about kind of where we're at, uh, that, that things have not moved in, a positive direction between COVID and other things. And um, I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, um, especially as we head into colder weather, as we head into the, the holidays, as we head into some of these different seasons that can be kind of uh, spark points or, or things that can, can trigger memories or things like that. What, what, what works? What, what helps move the needle on this in our community? I mean, what what work are you just like, this is the stuff we're trying to do more of because we know this is going to stop it on the front end. Always important to have the resources for folks who are experiencing it. But I know you talked a little bit about the work you do kind of zoomed out and from a higher level of, of trying to impact uh, our community as a, as a whole. I think at the heart of it simply is um, connection. You know, violence happens in isolation. And the more isolated we feel, the harder it is, I think, uh, to feel well, to feel whole, to feel grounded. 
So I think for me, the core of what we try to do is make connections, which is why I say to staff, when you walk into the building and I look at you and I say, hi, glad you're here. How can I help you? I'm looking in your eyes. I'm seeing you as a human. That in itself could be radical because you're not used to that. You've never gotten it. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't do other really uh, helpful kinds of programs we do but the base of it for me is connection and we want people to feel like uh the the family peace center is a respite i think we in the deep part of us as as humans we want to belong yeah we want to feel connected and so i i hope that what we do at sojourner is uh, help people feel like they belong give them a sense of hope that they're in charge and that we're going to support them and walk with them um, so we, we break the isolation. We give them uh, a different view of themselves. Um, you know, what happens for clients, they walk in, they're usually in a state of crisis, you know, and, and they'll say something like, I really don't have time to think about anything else but my restraining order or getting safe or where I'm going to sleep tonight or where my next meal is going to come from. But once they start to stabilize, we see uh, people take a turn towards, well, what could my life look like? You know, mm. what what could um, a life without violence be like? How can I heal? So we have programs like, you know, we have a a 12-week class for moms and kids called, uh, it's for child witnesses of domestic violence. And it's a 12-week class. We share a meal because I think food is really important. Yeah, And then we break up uh, and do some processing. And uh, at the end of the 12 weeks, the mom uh, writes a love letter to their kids. And they read it in front of the whole group. So we help. We also do something with the Milwaukee Symphony uh, called uh, the Lullaby Project, where musicians help survivors write a love song to their children. And then we do a concert. You know, so to me, it's always about driving back towards love, right? Towards Mm -hmm. love, towards connection. And there isn't a dry eye uh, when moms get up there. I remember this uh, year, a couple of years ago, this one woman got up. She had lost all seven of her children uh, to the child welfare system. And she wrote a song uh, calling out their names. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, I have not heard something so beautiful. You know, yeah. so we, we try to create connections between families. Well, one of the things we always try and do on Bruch the City, I, I, we could talk about this topic for, for an hour or two longer, I'm sure. Um, but I, I did want to ask you, what action step do you have for our listeners? Uh, we talked about how tough things are right now, that, that there's just a lot of kind of brokenness with where we're at. There's a lot of mm-hmm. um, issues that aren't solved. There's a lot of ways systems don't work in a way that's helpful to people. That can be entirely uh, disheartening to hear. And mm-hmm. one of the things we we work really hard to do is always have that action step. What is the the one thing that someone can do, or, or maybe it's one or two things to engage in their community, to have a positive impact, to make those connections like you talked about? What, what would you tell our listeners? You know, I think survivors need to hear a couple of things. Uh, it's not your fault. Uh, you're not alone, and I'm here to help. So I would say to listeners, be a person 
who uh, is safe, you know, be approachable, be kind, um, be the kind of person who understands what the resources are. And when a person comes to you and says, this is happening, believe them and say, I might not have all the answers, but I, I know Sojourner's phone number, or I know where their building is, or I know another program in town because there's eight programs in Milwaukee. So I would say, you know, be committed to being kind and, and giving that message. You're not alone. It's not your fault. And I'm here to help. And help, help can look like anything. Um, so educate yourself about the resources. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that we could build a sojourner big enough to solve the violence problem. I think the answer to violence is within our own lives. You know, they asked Mother Teresa uh, once, I can't remember the full context, but, you know, I want to do something about Calcutta. I want to come and work with you. And she said, well, there's a Calcutta right where you're standing, wherever you're living. So I guarantee you, your listeners, you know someone who's either hurting others or being hurt themselves. And so uh, take a stand on this issue and understand and um, be available to be a safe resource for people. Right after we stopped recording, Carmen shared one more thing with me. She talked about how they actually hold themselves accountable for the hope in the lives of the people that they help. Uh, They they have measures, and, and one of their goals is to make sure that they leave people feeling more hopeful. Well, this is a heavy topic, and Carmen was very helpful in giving us an understanding of the scope and the size of the problem. She also told us about how each of us can be a part of the solution, how we can each help people feel more connected, how we can be that safe space, we can listen, we can ask questions. Thank you, as always, for listening. And as we close out 2022, we want to thank our patrons who continue to help us to do this work. Um, If you'd like to join, uh, please visit patreon.com slash bridge the city. Have a wonderful new year. And as always, reach out and let us know how you are helping bridge the city.